Hello and welcome back to the Animal Rescue Podcast. Today's episode is featuring Kelly, the Development Director of the Kentucky Equine Adoption Center. So we're on part two. Um, Kelly shares some amazing stories of what it's like to work with horses in rescue and how it's not only people helping the horses, it's the horses helping the people. Um, There are some very touching moments. I am really glad that that podcasting does not allow for you to see my face because it would have been unfortunate. Um, There were some tears shed, but trust me, they were very good tears. So uh, again, this is part two of the Kentucky Equine Adoption Center uh, series. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, Kelly, and welcome to the Animal Rescue Podcast. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to be here. I love talking about what I do. And I am so excited. Like I was telling Karen last time, I know absolutely nothing about horse rescue. And so this is a really fun series for me to do because it just helps me broaden my horizons. Right. It's an exciting field to be in. Not many people actually think about it, but when you start thinking about it, it's, it's pretty unique. Yeah. So you are the development director for the Kentucky Equine Adoption Center, right? That's my fancy title. Yes. So what does that job entail? My job entails doing a lot of the business development, um, making sure that the money is there to buy hay and feed and pay the vet and pay the farrier and those sorts of things. I um, interact with all of our volunteers and all of our donors, and I help the horses be the public face of our organization. So if there is some sort of a connection between the water world and the rescue, that would basically be what I do. Okay. So what sorts of things do you guys do with the horses there? I know Karen talked about kind of the broad strokes of the things, but like what? We have several different education programs and we, um, do tours on Fridays and Saturdays where folks can come and actually see what we do hands-on. It's just a way of educating the public. And um, we like to say that every time one of our horses interacts with a human, they are being trained. And that makes our horses um, easier to adopt and better equine citizens. So when we do education programs with school kids from kindergarten through 12th grade, or we do um, uh, personal growth and communication workshops where horses are nose to nose with uh, people. It helps people and it helps our horses. So um, we're all about helping people have real um, real time experiences with horses close up that um, help people learn more about these incredible animals and help the people um, learn more about themselves. Um, And it's just a win-win. 
And that's yeah. what our education programs do. So when I say education, I mean, we're not only educating people, but we're helping train our horses at the same time. Okay. How do horses help people learn more about themselves? Well, a lot of times people live their lives um, reacting out of fear. They don't realize they're doing it, but especially in our world, a lot of our lives are fear-based. Um, a knee-jerk reaction to the news or scrolling through Facebook. Uh, and we end up making decisions because we're coming out of a place of fear. When you are, um, and I know I keep saying nose to nose, but that's really, um, sums up what we do because none of, I'm not talking about horseback riding at all. I'm talking about really um, what we call groundwork. When you are in a space with a 1200 pound animal that maybe you don't know anything about, that naturally is going to bring up some um, anxiety to you. <laughs> but horses are so um, benevolent and gentle now I'm talking about our horses. Do not try to walk up to a wild horse <laughs> out west or, you know, um, on Chincoteague Island. You don't do this. Um, we're professionals. Let us help you. <laughs> but um, when you when it brings up that anxiety and that that horse is made for connection, that's what they love. Um, it helps us. We say horses are both mirrors and mirrors and windows. They help us reflect on our own feelings and then they help us move past our feelings. So if you can stand there and be afraid and then reach out and touch that horse, scratch it, um, feel that warm muzzle kind of um, whiffle against your face, all of a sudden you've learned to deal with your anxiety in a way that's positive. And then that, um, to use a college word, extrapolates <laughs> into the rest of your it carries over is a better way to say it. Yeah. It carries over into the rest of your um, experience. So the next time you feel afraid or you feel anxious, you can remember that experience that it all turned out okay. And it will um, actually helps retrain human brains um, from the reaction of the cortisol to um, help you deal with that cortisol in your life. And that's just one small example of um, behavioral sorts of things that happen on a one-to-one -one basis. We deal a lot with um, groups like groups of coworkers or uh, people who want to come and learn how to interact with each other better and working with our horses, um, playing games as we call it, um, helps people learn to work as a team. And that's, uh, that's some personal growth learning that we do with our horses. In the water world, it's called equine assisted learning okay. or experiential learning. Okay. How does interacting with people help the horses? Our horses come from situations where they, um, a lot of times they come from bad situations where they've been neglected or they've uh, been trained in ways that are, um, where the horse has been dominated, um, maybe, you know, had a, a rough, um, just been handled roughly or not been handled at all in the two extremes. And because um, horses are, Okay, let me, let me stop and go back and let me start this sentence again, or let me start this concept again. <laughs> um, you and I are predators. We have eyes on the front of our heads. We're like lions and tigers and dogs and cats. Uh, when we see something, we want it, we go right for it. And if we can't make it do what we want, we will exert our physical strength 
to, to make it happen. Uh, whether it's opening the lid of a jar or trying to uh, make a four-year-old uh, stay in their bed. Yeah. You know, we, we, we have ways of wanting to control um, our, um, our surroundings. Horses are prey animals. They are like sheep um, or uh, cows, other kind of livestock. But horses are unique in that they are built for community. They are built to live with each other. Their brains are wired to live in a world where it's a community. Um, unlike predators that are, uh, we're wired to, to take care of ourselves, to look out for number one. Horses are wired to look out for each other. I mean, is that not a, a huge learning in our world today? Yes. Um, and so when, um, when a horse has been mistreated, they, they don't, if they're pushed into a corner by themselves, that's a, that's a traumatic thing for them. So when they can learn in, in this setting that, that you can trust people, you, you can come out of that shell where you've been traumatized or you've been neglected, this is a safe place, then they kind of come back to life. They begin to learn, okay, whatever happened to me in the past, I can let that go. And, um, you know, when, when racehorses come to us off the track, we give them a couple of weeks to what we call let down, you know, just kind of go, okay, yes. you know, I can, I can relax. I can rest. Oftentimes when we get, a uh, an equine here that comes from a bad situation and I've seen this happen again and again, um, we'll put them in a stall in the barn. And if you just kind of keep an eye open, you'll notice that one of our staff or one of our volunteers completely unrehearsed will go over to that animal and say, hey, it's okay. You're okay now. This is a safe place. This is good. You're going to be all right. So just, it's okay now. And that's the vibe around here. Um, that's what, that's what from starts with us and it trickles out through our volunteers it trickles out through our program participants we're saying to these animals like you'd say to any shelter pet it's okay you're okay now this is a good place what happened to you before is over so just take some deep breaths where it's going to be all right and that's what that's what we foster here is that spirit that gave me chills <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's so sweet. But also at the other end of that spectrum, and now this may, may be just me, okay? So I'm not speaking for the organization. I'm just speaking for Kelly here. Um, this morning, we're getting ready to probably um, send on to his adoptive home one of my favorite horses ever here. Um, he came to us as part of a really dramatic case. We got a Facebook message on Halloween night in 2019. And it was a picture of a black and white mare who'd been shot on both sides mm -hmm. of her rump um, of her hindquarters. Mm -hmm. And a good Samaritan was able to bring that horse to us. We, we took it um, to a local veterinarian at Park Equine. And um, as Dr. Walters was doing the examination to see if the, the horse's pelvis was broken, um, he discovered that she was pregnant. And on Thanksgiving day of 2019, Jose was born here. Oh. 
um, his mom, Tammy, has gone on to be um, a trail horse for a lovely family. And today, um, very close to Thanksgiving, you know, what, three years later, um, Jose is going to go on to um, a perfect adoptive home uh, for him. And as he, one of the things I said to our barn manager this morning, as I was preparing to do this podcast, I said, don't let Jose leave without me saying goodbye to him. And, you know, for me, that is just to get nose to nose with him and say, I love you, buddy. And then really, because of who I am, you know, pray a blessing on him that he will be safe and loved and cared for. Um, You know, he was born in a place out of great tragedy. He was born into a place that loved him. And um, that's what we do. You know, it's it's um, when they come in we say, you're going to be okay. And when we leave, we say, thank you for being part of our lives. And we want to, we want you to be happy and healthy. And that's, that's what we do. So sweet. Do the adopters ever keep in touch with you guys? Do they send you updates? Oh yeah, they do. Um, In fact, we do keep up with the horses um, across their lifespan if the horse, after a year of, with an adopter, um, the, the adopter then has the ability to, you know, sell the horse or, or, you know, whatever we do kind of ask for, it's not technically right or first refusal, but we do ask that, you know, the horse either comes back to us or we know where it goes. Um, so yeah, we, but often we just get great pictures of, you know, ponies that we get that turn into little girls ponies you know we had a pony here shorty not too long ago I guess it was maybe last year sometime and he was just the cutest little chestnut you know pony um and we got some pictures he had been adopted by a family and the little girl had him all dressed up in a pink halter and a pink saddle pad and you know shorty was had turned into a little girl's dream um but we, we hear that a lot, uh, horses that go on to do great things and, or, or just to be members of people's families. And that's what, you know, that's why we do what we do. They don't all have to go on to be great dressage champions or, right. you know, win ribbons or anything. And that's great too. I mean, right. a lot of these thoroughbreds are, they are equine athletes. They deserve to go on to places where they can physically excel. That's what they're bred to do. Um, and we're happy for that. But a lot of times too, you know, to see um, a pony with its hooves painted pink, it's just, <laughs> it's just as heartwarming as somebody who, you know, wins a, wins a big blue ribbon. Yes, absolutely. Have you ever had a horse come back to you? Oh, yeah, that does happen on occasion. You know, life happens and right. we, you know, uh, we always want to be that safety net. Sometimes, you know, um, horses go, and the, it just doesn't work out. It's like that. It's the um, equine equivalent of having a just a personality conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, just with the the best possible uh, will in the world, you just always can't make it work. Um, thankfully, it doesn't happen here very often. We're super super careful about the matches that we make. And uh, our barn manager Julie, who I think you're also going to plan on having on this podcast, she is the master at uh making those matches so um i don't know if it's a a gut reaction with her if it's just a natural thing that she does she has been teaching lessons and been around horses all of her life 
Um, so she just got a really good um, assessment of, yeah, that's going to work. It might be rough, but it'll work. Mm -hmm. Or um, mm, that's not going to work at all. Uh, so we we rely a lot on Julie's expertise for that, right. and that keeps horses from from coming back too Absolutely. often. Absolutely, yeah. How do the horses help each other, or do they? Do you do you guys let them interact? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, our horses, um, almost all of them live out. Well, they all live outside, and they all live outside in larger herds. We have three big pastures which usually have between eight and 12 horses in them. And then we have smaller paddocks where it's maybe two, three, four horses in a paddock. Horses do not like being alone. Um, so we, they do, you know, we do keep them in, in at least in pairs, usually in larger groups. Um, we usually have one older mare. We don't really, I guess we would, this would work right now if, if we, had a lot of babies. Sometimes we do uh, like multi-agency rescues where there are a lot of pregnant mares. We usually have one mare that is sort of a nursemaid that we can put babies in with or new horses in with. And we do kind of, we do keep the emotional temperature of each of the paddocks, you know. Um, sometimes uh, the boys and the girls don't always get along. So between the three paddocks, usually one is all geldings, which is, that's a, a castrated male. One is all geldings, one is all mares. And then the third one can be a mixed herd of mares and geldings. Um, some horses naturally get along, some naturally don't. There's always a hierarchy in every field. There's always a boss mare or a, a, a lead gelding in every field. They work it out with each other um, and, uh, I think that they help each other just with the very even tone of what happens around here. You know, um, you very rarely see an entire herd in one pasture or another, like take off running, like they're running away from something. You know, as beautiful as that is on television or whatever, uh, now I always say to myself, why are those horses running? <laughs> What's the problem? You know, it's because that that's not... They don't do that for fun, usually, you know. Um, so they help each other just simply by keeping that same tone of that, okay, everything's all right. You know, there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, so, you know, there's not that sense of, okay, we have to panic. Nobody's going to get fed. What's going on? Where's the water? You know, there's always, they always are um, pretty confident that they're going to get taken care of and you know, they maintain that tone of, of being calm. So like I said, I know nothing about horses and anything like that. Um, what is the difference between a paddock and a pasture? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, a, pa a pasture is a large field. Okay. That's usually several acres. Some I would say in my mind, probably, you know, six, seven, eight, nine acres or bigger. Okay. okay. Um, and an acre probably to just is pretty much like the size of your yard. If you live in a regular neighborhood, okay, that's about an acre. Um, your front yard, your backyard, and your house together, okay. Sometimes um, it's less than that. In in or we're not going to get into zero lot lines, <laughs> but I just wanted to give you a mental, you know, okay. A paddock is smaller. 
Um, It's usually no more than probably four or five acres. Um, A pasture, our pastures are farther away from the barn and they are places where our horses, uh, those horses don't need to come into the barn. They don't need daily, they don't need daily grain feeding. They They have hay and grass. A paddock is a smaller field. In our situation, it's closer to the barn. It's a horse that might need a, a little bit more care, um, but basically it's just a size distinction. Okay. So Pastures do, are big, paddocks are smaller. Okay. Now, do horses have to go to a barn like at night or do they just kind of hang out in the pasture or the paddock? They, yeah, they hang out. Um, our horses don't come into the barn unless there's a medical reason for them to, or the farrier comes and their feet need trimming or you know, something like that. Um, some of our horses do need grain every day to maintain their weight. So um, they come into the barn to eat. They don't have to, we could do feeders on the fence, but it's easier so they're not fighting over their food. Um, they come in and eat and then they go right back out again. Um, in the, uh, we do have run-ins in almost all of our pastures and that provides some wind protection and some shade in the summertime. Um, Nine times out of 10, they are standing right outside the run-in in the weather. They, they're sort of, you know, um, difficult that way. <laughs> That's just their, but it's their choice. You know, yeah. they know what they want. Mm-hmm. And um, so they do have some shelter, um, but they don't come into the barn. None of our horses live in the barn unless there's a reason for them to. They have some sort of like a foot issue or um, a lot of times with mamas and babies, um, just for protection, they'll sleep in the barn at night and then they'll go out in a paddock during the day. Um, and that's just to keep the babies safe. Yeah. So on TV, you know, you always see if there's a horse in the show or the movie, they're always in a barn. Um, like, are there situations? I mean, I know you said there's some medical situations in moms with babies, but in general, do horses just typically need to be on a pasture or I mean, well, okay. So if you think about horses in the wild, they don't live in a barn. Yeah. You know, right. They, they travel in herds. They, if they want shelter, they find a tree line, you know, that kind of thing. We as humans have put them in stalls because it's easier for us. Okay. And sometimes, and, and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to get a lot of ugly mail from people who keep their horses in stalls, you know, it, 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 for different traditions like English, you know, dressage, those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, do I bring my horses up into the barn when I want to ride? I put them in a stall. I put their, their saddle on that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and so, yes, there are, there are, there are, it's not traditions. It's, um, it's more of a personal preference thing. It's a personal preference, but it's also, um, a way that you know some people just do that they want their horses in the stall and um you know my friend Allison she has she lets her horses out on the pasture during the day but everybody spends the night in their stall every night you know and that's just her choice but right um you can do it either way I find that in my personal opinion horses are happier being free and being having the ability to move around um, and also just from a strictly selfish standpoint, I would rather they poop out in the field instead <laughs> of in the barn, because when they poop in the barn, then I've got to clean it up. 
Yeah. So <laughs> I would, you know, just from a laziness standpoint, it's better for them to be outside. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, that might be a little bit, you know, maybe people don't want to think about that, but. No, I mean, it's, it's a good point to make. It's a fact of life, you know. <laughs> right? But that almost it, putting them in a barn kind of makes me think of dogs being crated. You can crate your dog when you're gone during the day. You can leave it free in your house, but it's more of a personal preference, whatever works for you kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a good analogy um, because like, I know my mom has a big Irish setter and he, his crate is his safe place. Mm -hmm. You know, when he's ready to take a nap or whatever, it's like almost like his cave, you know, he goes Mm -hmm. in there and that's, you say, where's Cannon? Well, he's in his crate. Um, And I can see where from a horse's standpoint that that would be a safe place too. You know, this is my spot. I'm surrounded by these walls. You know, I'm going to be okay. Um, So I I do think that there is, there's probably some validity to that analogy. Um, My concern is the same concern I'd have with a, a dog in a crate. You cannot keep that dog there for 15, 18 hours at a time, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that's all I'm trying to say is I think yes. there needs no. to be a healthy balance. Yeah. And that makes sense. You know, like with dogs, you want to make sure that they go out for their walks. You want to make sure that you're doing enrichment with them. Um, right. And so it, right. it seems like that would be the same thing. Yeah, you know, you keep a you keep a horse in a stall too long, it's going to get bored, and it's mm-hmm. actually going to be uh, it, it can be become unhealthy for it from a swelling standpoint. You know, they need to move around to keep their yeah. you know their lymphatic systems moving and that kind of thing. So this and the same as a dog. I mean, you we've all seen what a dog can do to a crate, right? When it doesn't want to be in it. Yep. Like imagine what a twelve hundred pound horse can do to a wooden stall right. when it doesn't or a, a metal you know, fence panels when yeah. it doesn't want to be there. So yeah, I, I think it's probably a, that's probably a useful analogy though. Yeah. yeah. I want to go back just a little bit. So you had mentioned, um, it was Jose, right? The, mm-hmm. yeah. How long do you keep babies there? I mean, how with dogs, they wean, you want to wait eight to 12 weeks before you can remove a, a puppy from its mom. Right. What is, what, what about horses? Well, um, you know, the mares are usually pretty much done nursing somewhere between three and five months. And they'll say, you know, I'm done. Um, if, if they're out in the, you know, if they're out in the wild and they're not going to, it's a long, it's a long thing. Usually between three and six months, we say you need to be weaned. And at that, and at that point we make the decision for them because it's just easier. It's better for the mom and better for the baby too. So, um, like for example, when we weaned Jose, I had rescued a little, um, a a black and white mare named Poppy at the same time, same thing. Um, we didn't know she was pregnant. This was at my personal house. So this Poppy, this isn't a center story, but, but I just live next door. So kind of all runs in together. But so Poppy gave birth to Tess, um, the Kentucky Contessa is her name. Um, she gave birth to Tess a couple of weeks before Jose was born. So when it was time for them to be weaned, we decided we would, the, the Tess and that Jose would come to my house. Um, and that the mares would come 
over here. Um, it was far enough apart that they couldn't see each other, smell each other, all those sorts of things. But usually the first day that you wean, it's, it's sort of a rodeo. So we had, um, so Tess and Poppy and Jose and Tammy were all at my house with my Percheron, who is a big draft horse. His name is Bullet. And he's retired U.S. Army. Uh, he pulled the caissons at Arlington Cemetery. Um, he was part of the third infantry, the old guard, the, that is the army unit that, um, takes care of everything at Arlington. So, um, Bullet is, he's enormous and, um, big gray horse, um, pretty, pretty calm, pretty, been there, done that, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to get Bullet too excited about anything. But so we decided we would leave the babies with Bullet. The Bullet would be the nursemaid um, and the mares would come back over here. So we started calling him Uncle Bullet. So the day that we moved the mares over, usually the babies run around and they cry and the sometimes the mares will holler a little bit. Usually they go right back to eating like, shoo, okay, you know, yeah. life. Um, the only horse that had a problem, the babies went right to eating at my house. The only horse that had a problem was Bullet. What? And he likes run to the runs to the fence and he looks at me like, don't leave me here with these kids. <laughs> what are you doing? And he starts trotting up and down the fence row. Where did those bears go? What, what <laughs> left me with these babies? So, you know, but um, yeah, that's my favorite weaning story about you know, the only, the only horse that had a difficulty was Uncle Bullet. Everybody else was, was fine. You know, they oh, were, so they were ready. It was time, you know, it was yeah. okay. Uh, but yeah, Bullet wasn't having it. Now it, it all did eventually turn out okay. And everybody loves Uncle Bullet. Um, and Bullet learned how to, to, you know, take, watch out for the babies. So it's a good story. That's too funny. How long do the babies have to wait like how long until they're adoptable? Well, depending on the adopter, you know, we, we have uh, adopted them even then, right then, right after weaning, you know, not at that moment, but, yeah. you know, we've given them a few weeks, but um, if the adopter is an experienced horse person or uh, maybe is a vet or a vet tech or somebody that knows what they're doing, you know, we're, we're happy. We have, we have adopted out babies before last summer, not this past summer, but the summer before, we did a big rescue where we had several mares and babies, um, mares that were pregnant, mares that had babies at their side, mares that were pregnant and had babies at their side. It was, yeah, it was a very, a very sad situation. Um, and some of those babies went, uh, went right on to very experienced horse people. And I think out of there were 20 some horses in that rescue. And I think there's only one of them that's still here. The average stay for any horse here, the length of stay is about eight months. Okay. So, um, you know, we, we work really hard to find appropriate adopters. So, so horses don't stay here for a long, long time. Yeah. Cause What's we aren't, we're not a sanctuary. No right. horse lives. Yeah. No horse lives out their life here. The whole yeah. goal is for them to go on to the, you know, to their, forever home or their next perfect their next perfect spot yeah what's the longest a horse has stayed there well um probably so I adopted 
before I had this job, I adopted the longest running resident of the center. Her name was Esprit, and I think she was here four years, maybe, okay. maybe a little bit longer than that. She had been um, returned. She'd been adopted and returned like three times. Um, Esprit was a, a very opinionated mayor. Um, she knew how she liked to be treated. I mean, and if you did that whole, like people do with cats and dogs, um, oh, sweetie, aren't you lovely? Da, da, da. Yeah. She wanted nothing to do with that. Um, so when I said I was going to adopt her, my farrier, who was also the farrier here, he said, um, he was wanting, you know, trimmed her feet. He said, Kelly, you do not want that horse. No. And she is hard to deal with. She, you know, I dread having to do her feet. Um, he said, you, you know, you do not want that horse. And I said, no, you know, I think, I think I do. So, um, and it turned out that I was her person and she was my heart horse. And the first time he came to do her feet, he said, this is not the same horse. She calmed down. We played games together. We hung out together in the pasture. She had a complete personality change. She was just looking for someplace she was safe. Yeah. She was looking for somebody who would respect her and treat her the way she wanted to be treated, which was not, I mean, I didn't do anything different with the spray. I just didn't honey baby yeah. sugar her, you know, and you couldn't be um, very tentative with her. If you wanted to do something, you had to just do it. Yeah. Where uh, say if my husband wanted to catch her, he would get the halter and he'd walk out in the field very slowly and he'd walk up to her and he'd show her the halter and he'd say, now, do you want to put the halter on? And she'd just turn her butt and walk away. <laughs> she'd just like, no, I want no part of this. But if I wanted to halt her, I'd walk out there. I wouldn't have the halter behind me. I'd, you know, I'd have it in my hand and I'd say, okay, come on. This is what we're going to do. Put your nose in here. And she'd do it and she'd do whatever I wanted but she wanted to be respected. She wanted to know what was going on. Mm -hmm. She wanted the people around her to be confident and she didn't, she didn't want to mess around. Um, and, you know, I loved that about her and I loved it about her because I'm not that kind of a person. I'm, I was just going to say, she seems like the kind of horse that would kind of pull that confidence out of someone. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. And I found myself in my personal relationships wanting to be more like a spree. Yes. Wanting to, to say, no, now, wait a minute. This is how I want things to be. You know, don't, and, and you know, I found that about myself. I don't want to be sugar baby. I don't mm -hmm. want somebody to say, oh, Kelly, you're so sweet. If you would just do it, no, just tell me. Yeah. Just tell me what you want, you know? And I always used to say about Esprit, she didn't suffer fools, you know, and I don't either, but it made me feel better about myself. I mean, what a, what a great relationship. And so uh, in, I guess it was last fall, it might've been longer than that. I've lost track. Um, Esprit had a condition called heaves, which is like um, asthma in adult, in, in humans. Um, and in the fall, uh, in the spring and in the fall, she would have a really hard time breathing. Um, and so finally, uh, 
we I was giving her all kinds of medicine. The medicine wasn't helping. I'd, I'd done everything I could. And the vet, I had the vet come out and the vet said, Kelly, it's, you know, it's time. And when you're, you know, when you decide it's time, you, you call me, you know, well, I am, um, I wasn't ready at that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, a week or so later, I was a spree an hour out in the barn and she was just really, really struggling. And I said, um, I don't want to do this, but you tell me when you're ready. And she walked over and she laid the flat of her head on the flat of my chest. And she just kind of leaned into me. And I said, okay, okay. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that this is not this. This recording, the visual is not getting posted. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, oh. that's, I have had only in my life, have I ever had one, one other horse ever do that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, that was at a time in my life where I was really struggling with the career that I had. And I was just, um, well, I was a senior pastor of a large church and I was exhausted. Yeah. Um, and I was questioning, you know, why am I doing this? You know, am I, am I doing the right thing? Is this really what I'm called to do? And I visited a United Methodist church camp in North Carolina that had a horse program. And even then I was thinking, I really wish I could do something with horses. And um, so we were just, we were walking through the pasture and these horses start running toward us. And um, you know, I had been around horses enough that I, I was kind of concerned, you know, what's going on. But, I, you know, you learn that if you stand your ground, they're not going to run over you. They're going to run past you, you know. Um, and this chestnut horse, that's that red sort of reddish color, you know, kind of an Irish set of red, um, comes up to me and stops. Now, I'd never seen this horse before in my life. And I'm just having a conversation with the guy who's the director of the camp. And the horse walks right up to me and lays the flat of its head on my chest, totally uninvited. I mean, I've never seen that horse before. And it was, it was like, there was a heart connection in that moment. I mean, literally with me and the, like the universe, I would say, God, you know, that, that the horse was telling me, yes, you're thinking it is horses. It is us. It is the right thing. Now it took years to get here. I mean, that was probably 10 years ago that that happened, but I'll never forget it. Mm -mm. And it's those sorts of, um, it's those sorts of experiences that I'm trying to hold space for in my job here, for people to have those sorts of experiences with horses. That's what I'm trying to, I can't make it happen, but I can hold the space open to get people and horses in our arena in a safe way or in a pasture in a safe way. Um, So that can happen. One of the exercises we do um, is called the listening circle. And all we do is invite people to, to sit or stand in a circle and we just have a conversation and we'll have several horses um, at Liberty that means, you know, just running free um, inside the arena. And it is amazing 
to watch the horses saunter up and join the circle. And, um, you know, if somebody is expressing some strong emotion, you'll see a horse come up behind them and start to maybe nibble on their hair. Um, uh, another story along, along that line that I love is um, years ago, I had a mare, um, we called her Lady, but her previous owner called her Red Dog. Um, and Red Dog had had a rough start in life. Um, she was bad to pull back because she was afraid of everything. So in order to fix that, her previous owner had tied her to a fence. And the more she pulled back, the more the woman hit her with a stick yeah. um, until she pulled the fence down and she dragged the fence behind her. And she didn't like people with white t-shirts. She didn't like cigarette smoke. She didn't like being tied. There were a lot of things she didn't like. And in some ways, she was probably my first esprit. She uh, was very opinionated, but she'd been very traumatized. Um, wanted so bad to be with people, wanted so bad to be part of what was going on, but was just terrified all the time. But when I first started to do equine assisted learning, um, I would take uh, clients out into the field and if the person had any sort of trauma or domestic violence in their background, lady would be the first one to come up to them and stand next to them. And I remember I had a friend one time who just did, she, she exhibited all sorts of trauma responses. And I have a, a, a most of a degree in counseling. Um, and I've done a lot of pastoral counseling in my life. And um, she, I knew that she had, had had some sort of trauma, this my friend, but she would never admit it. Um, it was just too painful for her to go there. And we were standing out in the field one day and a uh, lady walked right up to her and put the side of her face on her arm. And I said, you know, you may not want to, to tell me, you may not want to, deal with the trauma event in your life but lady wants to help you because she's been there and the whole story then just came flooding out because this woman then could lean against this horse mm -hmm. this this big strong you know literally can you imagine being able to tell a story of trauma or sadness but yet be able to lean against this huge animal while you do it the comfort Oh, yes. And an animal who understood what, the, you know, what that trauma was and, mm -hmm. and what that feeling was. And it was hugely therapeutic. It was transformational. But that's what horses do for us. That's right. what they can do for us, with us, not for, with. Yeah. I can listen to your stories all day long. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They just... They just make you feel so good. Well, I've actually written a book um, that's with a lot of these stories in it. And I'm working on this, my second book. Then I'm hoping that people can, you know, experience um, these things through the pages of, yeah. of the book, even if they can't actually get here to do it. So where can people find the book? Oh, well, it's on Amazon. Okay. Um, it's called Living into the Mystery. 
Um, and uh, it's Kelly Summers Sorg uh, is that's my that's I'm the author and that so I'm working on I'm working on the second one right now. So the first one is based on the stories of of my herd, um, and um, and it's it's about spiritual transformation. So that's based on the stories of my herd from years ago, and the second book is based on the stories from here from mm -hmm. from the center and the the horses here and the the things that I see happen, the things we see happen here. Yeah. When is that second book due out? Well, if I can, uh, if I can spend December writing, I'm hoping for a springtime launch. So I'm writing now, but yeah. um, I, I, I need to put my head down and actually get it done. So I'm hoping that we're going to be able to do it sort of as a, maybe a combination fundraiser with the center, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, because it's a lot of the things, um, it's amazing. Uh, what these horses can do and um the the uh yeah anyway so that's my that's my winter job you know now that uh, winter is closing in and I we can't be out doing all the things we want to do on the farm I've promised myself I'm going to write this winter we'll see yes I have to lock myself in the basement to, <laughs> to, to get it done well I'll definitely be buying the first one and I'll be keeping my out for the second one. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm always happy to, to talk. I'm always happy to tell stories. And really, that's kind of my job as the development director. You know, I tell the story because that's how people want to get involved financially. They want to get involved with their time. And, and that's, I think, the beauty of what we're able to do here is um, we depend on people wanting to be part of our story whether it's wanting to send us $20 a month to, to buy a bag of feed, which we desperately need those that, you know, we're 501c3, we live on donations. Mm -hmm. um, or it's our awesome volunteers who come here or groups who come here who want to do these educational programs. It's, we, our job is to invite people to be part of these horses story. Actually, I should write that down. Our job <laughs> is to invite people to be part of these horses life stories because that that's really what we do yeah I should trademark that sentence yeah that's a good one that should be the slogan of the center well it's right up there with nose to nose I, that, yes. that one is my, that's that's another <laughs> one of my trademarked sentences yes, my children yes. would tell you that I have several more trademarked sentences <laughs> well, wait, yeah. is there anything that I haven't asked you or that you are like people really need to know this thing? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I feel like you've gotten a, you've gotten a boatload of my stories for sure. <laughs> um, no, I, I just think, um, well, okay. I, I would say this from, from what you do. Um, I think people find that uh, interacting with the lives of shelter pets is, uh, it's difficult, but it's not unmanageable, right? We all can picture taking home a dog or taking home a cat or, you know, making room in our lives for a pet. And I can see people saying to themselves, well, how in the world would I make room for a horse in my backyard? You know, well, you may not be able to do that, but you can meet them on their own terms um, and you can be part of their lives. It may not be that they're living in your house, but they can be part of your life and they need for you to be. And so um, horse rescue is not 
solely the domain of people who live on farms or who have barns in their backyards. Um, just like dogs and cats, we are responsible for these animals. And um, you can be part of their story and we can, we can help you do that. And they need for you to be. Yeah, that was great. That's good. That's, that's a perfect way to end this episode. That's perfect. Well, I used to be a television producer and words are sort of what I, words are my thing. Yeah, words yeah. are my thing. I may not be able to train a horse, but I can sure talk about them. Well, you do such an amazing job at it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I need to go out and say yes. goodbye to Jose before yes. he drives away. I need to kiss his nose one more time. Yes. Well, he's not go going very far. Oh, that's good. That's yeah, good. He's just going right down the road. <laughs> well, he's going to Richmond, Kentucky, which is about, you know, 45 minutes from here. So yeah, that's not too far. Yeah. Yeah. But he still won't be here for me to see him every day. Yeah. But his story lives in you. Oh, yes. Oh, do you know how many times I've told that story about Jose and Tammy? I've got that down to a patter. I've even got hand motions. Oh, my goodness. That's perfect. So, with the way they, um, so the way you check if a horse's pelvis is broken is you actually reach inside and, and you rock the horse back and forth. And if you hear a creaking noise, it's the bones rubbing together. And that's how you can tell if the pelvis is broken. So when Dr. Waldridge, here's my hand motion, reached inside to see if her pelvis was broken, um, his hand hit a nose and two feet that were ready to come into the world. So that's, yeah, the nose and two feet. Um, so that's how they look in the birth canal. <laughs> so now when you do this podcast, you know, yes. when you do the sign language, you're going to have to go on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I will make sure that we have that so that everyone knows exactly what that looks like. So yeah, that's how many times I've told that story. It's got hand motions and facials and all that to go. <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. In part two of our Kentucky Equine Adoption Center series, um, go enjoy your goodbye with Jose and um, yeah. Yeah. Sounds good, Kashia. Thank you so much. Yes. And if you need anything else, just give me a holler. I'm always here. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Animal Rescue Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your friends. Thank you. 